Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. It's getting colder here in Colorado where I'm recording the podcast. The leaves are starting to turn colors like the cool hands of autumn are lighting them on fire and turning them brilliant reds and golds. The earth smells different. The light is warmer as if trying to take the edge off the coming cold. This is the time of year when the fiddles are taken inside along with the harvest. Stories begin to flow with the wine. So I have a few stories for you that are beautiful, mysterious, and have a dash of melancholy. The first is by Simon Brooks, a storyteller from New Hampshire, telling the fairy bride. In the long ago time before there were kings and queens... In the long ago time when chieftain ruled villages and villages were tribes. There was once a boatman, a fisherman, called Hagen. Hagen made his living fishing. He lived on a croft on the side of a great lock. His croft gave him food for the summer and for the winter. And he raised chickens for eggs and for meat. He wasn't a social man. Most of his time was spent fishing, fixing nets, tending his land, looking after the chickens. He didn't have much time for socialising. He he was lonely, but it was neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It was just the way things were. He always looked forward to the great feast that the chieftain held every year. The feast of the winter solstice, a time to celebrate the end of the long, dark days and the return of light. When Hagen arrived at the festivities, people were already sat down eating and drinking. He walked in between the tables, he walked in between the benches and greeted old friends caught up on old news found out who died, who'd been born, who'd married whom, who'd left the village, seeking fortunes elsewhere. There was a great deal of food that was being eaten, a great deal of drink that was being drunk, and halfway through the night, the chieftain rose from his bench and slammed his mead cup down on the table and said, I like your attention, please. Uh, This year is going to be different to any other year. You see... You're going to have to pay for the foods that you're eating and the drink that you're drinking. And I have to say that I've been watching you consume an awful lot. Nah, don't worry, don't worry. I'll not ask you to pay in money or in eggs or chickens or anything like that, no. I want you to entertain each other. Every one of you is going to take a turn up up here with me on the high table. And you're going to either sing a song, dance a dance, play a tune on some instrument or another. And if you cannot do that, then you'll be telling us a story to entertain us. Now, who's first? Two brothers got up and they sang a sweet ballad to the rest of the attendees at that festival, at that feast. One after another, people went up. There were sisters who danced, brothers who sang, 
cousins and aunts and uncles who played instruments. There was fiddles played, there were pipes played, there were drums beaten. It was a wonderful evening. But Hagen got more and more uncomfortable as the evening wore on. Hagen, you see, felt that his fingers were too fat and stiff from fishing and mending nets to play an instrument. And if it came to singing, well, when Hagen ever attempted to sing, the cats would run away, dogs would bury their ears beneath their paws. The sounds were so terrible that came from his mouth. And when it came to dancing, well, people guessed that he had two left feet given to him at birth. If he didn't trip himself up, he was bound to trip up at least one or two other people. And storytelling... What can I tell as a story? Hey, last night I caught this fish. It was much bigger than the last one I caught the night before. Oh, it's huge. That's not much of a story. Hagen got more and more nervous as the evening wore on. He decided to get outside for some fresh air, maybe come up with a plan, come up with an idea of what he could do to entertain the rest of his villagers. When he stepped outside... The air was crisp. It was, there, was, there was something magical about the air. The moon was full and high up in the sky. Its silver rays reflected in the lake. The evening seemed so much more magical and ethereal. He heard a woman's voice. He, he turned and looked behind him, and there next to the shore was a woman crying. "'What's wrong?' he said. "'Are you all right?' The woman wept and, and said, I, I live on the island, the island in the centre of the lock, and I can't make my way back. Nobody lives out there on the island. It's barren. There's nothing but rocks and mosses. There's nothing out there. Nobody could live on that rock. But I do, she said. She insisted that she lived out on that island, the rocky island. She was so upset that Hagen said, All right, all right, I'll take you. I have a boat. It's just here. Come on. Jump in. I'll row you across there. What's your name? The young woman said. Hagen. What's yours? Faye, said the woman. She was beautiful. Her features were striking, even in the, in the moonlit night. He could tell that her hair was gold and her eyes, her eyes, ah, oh, they were so deep. Brown. There was... There was a hidden depth in those eyes that he'd never seen before in any other person. Facing the mainland with his back to the island, the oars plunged into the water, and with good long strokes, he quickly made his way towards the island. They talked about many different things. They talked about children, although neither of them had any. They talked about family. They talked about friends. They talked about the chieftain. They talked about life. They laughed and they joked. And that row ride to the island was made so short with their conversation that it was taken by surprise when his boat brushed up against the shore. He climbed out and pulled the boat up further on the beach and helped Faye out. Now where is it you said you lived? You say you lived on this island, but there's nothing but rocks. No, she said. Come with me. And she took his hand toward a path that he'd never seen there before when he'd visited the island. He made his way up the pathway, her hand in his, she leading him 
to a cottage. A beautiful cottage. C- come inside. I want you to meet my mother and my aunt. Have a have a dram or something. Uh, maybe we can fit you some food. It's it's a long row over here. Uh, I'd like to give you something uh, for your energy to get back. Aye, that would be nice," said Hagen. And so he came inside and was introduced to Faye's mother and aunt. The three women sat Hagen down and got some food and some drink, and they sat and talked and ate and drank. And then, when the food was done. They sat down in some comfortable chairs next to a nice warming fire. Hagen, to his utter embarrassment, fell asleep. It was only for a second, but he was so ashamed of himself. I'm so sorry, said Hagen. I, I, I don't know what came over me. Look, I, I should be going. It's getting late. I, I kind of spend the night here with, with three beautiful women here uh, on my own. I, I should be going. No, said Faye. Stay. Stay here a while longer. Stay here tonight. I cannot spend the night here with three women. What would people say? It'll be different if we were married, but we're not. I cannot stay here. I have to go. No, stay. But, but what would people say if I stayed? Well, then marry me, said Faye. Marry you? He looked at Faye, and she looked at him with her deep eyes. What would you be wanting somebody like me for? A gnarly fisherman like myself. Ah, uh, you're quite the catch, she said with a smile on her face. You're serious, aren't you? I am, she said. He thought about his, his life alone in the croft. He thought how much he liked this woman that sat across from him. He loved her. He knew that. You'd marry me? I, I would. Then let's get married, said Hagen. And so Faye's mother and aunt performed the necessary ceremonies, and Hagen and Faye were married, and Hagen spent the night at that cottage on the island in the middle of the loch. Then he spent the night there, the next night there, and the night after that. In fact, he didn't leave the island at all. He stayed there. They had everything they needed. They had, they had some goats, chickens. They had food enough for all of them. There was no need to leave the island. Everything they needed was there. Time flew by. The days turned to weeks, weeks to months, and soon, Fay was carrying a baby. And it wasn't long before they had six wee bairns running around the island. The air filled with their laughter, with their joy. Hagen loved his children. Hagen loved his wife, and she loved him too. One day, when he was playing with the children and amongst the reeds on one side of the island, one of the boys found a pole and pulled it out of the reeds. the The pole was flattened out at one end, broader than the rest of it. He asked his father what it was. Hagen took it in his hands and turned it around. I don't know why I know this, but I think it's an oar. Aye, I'm certain that this is an oar, but I don't know why I know this. He looked in the rushes and he saw something that looked like a, a really large bathtub. One end of it was flat, however, and the front end of it was pointed. 
He climbed into it. It was made of wood, and found another oar in it. Aye, and this is a boot, he said to his children, as they looked at him. Are you going to be all right, father? I'll be fine. I remember what this is. And he pushed himself out of the reeds with one of the oars, set them into the cradles, the rollocks, and with one stroke pushed himself away from the island. Where are you going, father? Ah, this is fun. This is fun. I used to do this all the time. I remember now. And he rowed some more and more, and he laughed and waved at the children, and the children laughed and waved back. His arms felt good. The air through his lungs felt good. Another big, strong pull on the oars. And the boat cut through the waves again. The children got smaller and smaller, and he could hardly hear them now. And then he saw his wife, Faye. She joined the children, and she waved madly at him. And he waved madly back. I'll be right back, he said. She was shouting and waving at him, but he couldn't make out the words. But he'd forgotten the feeling of rowing and and how good it felt, how deep inside him this was. And he rowed and he rowed, and suddenly the boat came upon the mainland shore. He tried to push the boat off, but he couldn't get it off the beach. So he climbed out of the boat, stood on the mainland, and walked the boat into the lock once more, jumped into it and began to row back. But as he rowed back, the air started to change. The sky got darker and darker and darker, but it wasn't as if there was a storm. It was as if the day had suddenly ended. Stars came out into the sky. A full moon was right there, high above him. He rowed to the island and beached his boat, pulled it up onto the shore, and made his way to the path. But the path had gone. There's only one island on the lock. Where's the path? I've walked it a thousand times. In the blackest of nights. In the brightest of days. Where's the path gone? He made his way over the rocks and over the brush. Where's the cottage gone? He called out for Faye. He called out for his children. But only his voice echoed back. In the chill night, he ran around the island and looked in every nook and cranny, every cove and inlet of the island, the small island that it was. He searched it, crying out again and again for his wife and his children. Tears began to pour down his face. He climbed back into his boat and rowed back to the mainland. His boat beached. He pulled it up onto the shore. He ran towards the village, towards the chieftain's hut to the halls. As he made his way in, the whole village was there. There was Jimmy Mack, playing the fiddle. He'd been playing that fiddle. How many years ago was it now when I left? He was playing the same song as well. The song finished and he ran up to the chieftain. I've, I've lost my way from my children! What are you talking about, lost your wife? You're not married. You have no children. Where have you been, anyway? We've been looking for you. It's about time you came up and, and did some kind of entertainment. No, what do you mean I'm not married? I've been married for years. I have six children. Six children? How can you have six children when you've, when you've just been outside for five minutes? That's impossible, said the chieftain. No, said Hagen. It's true. And Hagen told the chieftain 
the story of the woman, Faye, that he'd met outside, how he'd rowed her to the island, and they'd lived together in a cottage and had six sweet bones. Tears rolled down his face. When I got back to the island, she'd gone, the house had gone, my bones are gone, my life has gone. Hey, that's a good story, Hagen. That's the best story yet. No one's going to be able to talk that story. It's not a story, it's true, I tell you. It's true. Aye, you certainly tell it as if it's true. Hagen did not remarry. Every year, on the winter solstice, he would row out to the island, hoping that some miracle would occur, hoping that he would find Faye and their six children, his mother-in-law, Faye's aunt, the cottage with the goats and the chickens, hoping beyond hope that one day he would row out there and find them waiting for him. But the years went by, and the years went by. His hair went white and slowly began to fall from his head. His hands froze in arthritis. That year when he rode out there, he thought to himself that this was going to be the last year that he'd be able to make his way out to the island. He could barely grasp the oars as he rode across the loch. The moon was full in the sky, when he beached his boat, climbed out of it, and his old stooped frame, with the few remaining white hairs, and his gnarled hands pulling the rope, pulling the boat up onto the shore, he turned, and there he saw Faye, as young and beautiful as she had always been, with her arms open her voice calling him, and the six children smiling and laughing as Hagen made his way up the path and towards the cottage that was their home. hearts broken or in danger of being broken. The fairy tale sponsor for this podcast is Hidden Heart Solutions, the premier service for hiding hearts in this world and the ones that border ours. Hidden Heart Solutions will hide your heart in layer upon layer of protection. One of their premier clients was the giant who had no heart. Hidden Heart Solutions secreted his valuable away in an egg, in a duck, inside of a church, on an island in a distant lake. And they've been improving on their systems ever since. They are also the reason we have a turducken. Hidden Heart Solutions will guarantee your heart is never found and therefore never broken.
With the harvest, there comes the stories of the other world, the echoes that shape themselves into spirits and ghosts from the past. Wails of wind become voices from beyond, and I can't help but shiver and ask for one more story. I must confess the Halloween season is my favorite story season, so there might be a few extra stories in the coming month. To begin the stories of the season, I'm delighted to give you Liz Weir, a storyteller from Northern Ireland, and the story, Chain of Memories. The year was 1847. Outside a small thatched cottage in Donegal, a family stood huddled against the cold. There was a man, his wife, his little boy Sean, and his baby Catchleen, Katie for short. These were the O'Connors. Their potato crop had died, and like so many others, they couldn't afford to pay the landlord his rent. So the landlord's men had arrived to evict them from their house. As they stood there outside, the mother suddenly remembered she'd forgotten something. Can I go back in? No. No rent, no house. And so they had to walk to the grim building known as the workhouse. Inside, men were separated from their wives. Mothers were separated from their children. Within about a week of being there, the baby, Katie, took a fever and died. When the young mother heard the news, she was devastated. They saw her grow weaker and weaker day by day, until at last she died, they say of a broken heart. The young man ensured his wife was buried in the local graveyard. And taking his son by the hand, he started to walk for Derry. There they would board a boat bound for America. Ireland had nothing more to offer them. When they landed in Boston, the young man got a job in the building trade. He was a good worker. As he reared his son, he told Sean stories. Stories about his mother. They talked about his baby sister. They talked most of all about Ireland. And when Sean grew up, started working in the building trade as well, he passed on those stories to his family. Generation followed generation. Ireland was never forgotten. More than a hundred years after they'd left, the O'Connors decided to come back and find the village where they grew up. They wanted to find their relatives' graves. The grave wasn't hard to find. They cleaned it up they put up a headstone, and then they went looking for the old cottage. They found it, the thatch all fallen in, the four walls still standing. But outside there was a sign, for sale. We're going to buy it, they said. People said you can't buy that cottage, it's haunted. Everyone knows that. Every night, people can hear a baby crying from inside that cottage. <laughs> they said it's our cottage. We're going to buy it. It's our family home. And sure enough, with their skills, they renovated that cottage, lovely thatched roof, whitewashed walls, painted windows and a half door. The daughter of the family was called Kate, for the names came down through the generations. And she was playing about in the kitchen of the old cottage, and she stepped into that huge chimney breast to look up up the chimney to the sky. And she remembered hearing a story. 
about a little cavity up the chimney where people would have kept salt to keep it from the damp. And she put her hand into that hole and she pulled out something, a piece of old tattered cloth. And when she opened it inside was an old battered tin locket. She opened it and there etched on it was the year 1847 and the name Katie and a simple drawing of a little baby. She remembered the story. This must have been what the great-great-granny was looking for. Carefully, she wrapped it up, showed her father, and they buried it in the grave with the great-great-granny. And after that, no one ever heard the crying baby again. They were at peace. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show notes and more information about the storytellers you heard today can be found at storystorypodcast.com forward slash episode 10. Show the love. Find Simon Brooks and Liz Weir on Facebook. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. If you want to support this podcast, you can do that and get an extra story per podcast. The bonus story for the patrons for episode 10 is The Frog Princess by Tim Araneta. You can find those options at storystorypodcast.com. And I want to say thank you to our supporters on Patreon. I appreciate you. If you would like to stay connected or offer feedback, you can find me and the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or join the mailing list. You can leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or however else you listen to your podcasts. This helps other people find the stories and is so appreciated. Let us know the favorite story you've heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. I'll be back with more stories soon. My voice will be less stuffy for sure, and I hope you'll join me again. Until then, live happily ever after. <laughs>